I was telling uh, Sister Pam, she said she ain't been in class in a while, and it's been 30-some years, so it's surreal for her. So uh, I'm glad. I'm, it's kind of weird seeing you there. So it's, it's good, to, good to see her and, and her husband able to sit in a class. Uh, and let me just say this. It's just kind of just surreal just to be able to do, do this right now, to have people uh, to teach a class to. Uh, I did almost 60 Bible class videos going back all the way to March, and uh, I just can't believe we've come to this moment where God, and we give the glory to God, has blessed us to be able to be at a point in 2020 still where we can have a Bible study together. Uh, and I'm thankful for those of you who are here. Um, appreciate all the precautions the elders have put in place uh, so we can be able to do this. Uh, I have a lot of other things I want to say as far as introduction do goes in just a moment. But before we do that, let's just have a prayer, okay? Almighty God, thank you for this opportunity you have given us after six and a half months to be able to finally come together as a spiritual family on this day, October 18th, to, to be able to study and have a Bible study together, an in-person Bible study. We are thankful for the technology that allowed us to continue studies during the time of pandemic, but we are very thankful that we're able to be together today to study the last week of Christ together and we just pray that things continue to go smoothly, that you would bless our efforts, and just thank you for this opportunity today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, a few things I want to say to set the scene for what we're, going to be, what we're going to be doing. As the slide behind me shows, today we begin a series of lessons that will take us into the first part of next year called The Last Week of Christ. And maybe you say that, how could we have that many lessons for the last week of Christ? Well, as we're going to see, there is so much that goes on during the last week of Christ. The Gospels, their main focus seems to be that last week of Jesus. Now, we have workbooks for this class. Hopefully, you have received... You can have a, a personal copy, a paper copy of a workbook. You also have access to it online. If you don't have a paper copy and you want one, Chad uh, has those. So just raise your hand and Chad will pass those to, out to you. But the, we have access to download it on our website and we have the paper copies available if you want one of those. Now, Few things, few more things I want to say as far as format goes. If you look at your workbook, if you have the paper copy, if you go to the schedule, uh, and I want to thank Chad and Brian Sheely and all those who were involved in helping organize this and put this together, I appreciate it. There are two different subjects that we're really going to be looking at uh, this quarter as we make our way into the end of January of 2020. We're going to spend 13 classes or 13 lessons on the last week of Christ. If you see on your schedule, that's going to take us all the way to December the 20th. 
Beginning on December 23rd, we're going to start a new uh, series of lessons. It's going to have to do with the miracles of Jesus. So we're actually in this workbook looking at two different subjects. We're looking at the last week of Christ and the miracles of Jesus. We are doing that. The elders want us to focus on this because we are uh, trying to really close out the year emphasizing our theme, which has been experiencing the fullness of Christ. So we want to look at the last week, of, last week of Christ and the miracles of Christ. As far as what we're going to do in the last week of Christ, I want to kind of just briefly show you uh, what these 13 lessons are about real quick. If you'll follow me on your schedule today, we're looking at what happened on the Saturday before the crucifixion. Jesus spent some time in Bethany. So if you want to go to Mark chapter 12, that's where we're going to be. This morning, we're also going to on next week because we have uh, our singing, our monthly singing is going to be this Wednesday uh, as we kick off our Wednesday classes again. So next Sunday, we're going to look at what happened when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. That happened on a Sunday, the first day of the week, the Sunday before the crucifixion. Next Wednesday or the, the week from Wednesday, we're going to look at what happened on Monday. The significant event there is when Jesus cursed the fig tree. There's a lot going on there in that, in that incident. We are going to spend two classes uh, looking at, or really three classes, looking at the dialogue and the debates that took place between Jesus and the religious leaders. A lot of that goes on on Tuesday. We're going to also have a class on what happened on Wednesday. While the Bible doesn't tell us specifically what the Lord did on Wednesday, we do know that there were some things going on on Wednesday, particularly with Judas and the enemies of Jesus. We're going to look at that. We're going to have a class uh, on Jesus eating the Passover. We're going to have two classes on Jesus being arrested in Gethsemane. We're going to have three classes on the trials, a class on the crucifixion, a class on the resurrection, and then we're going to have a review class. Now, a couple of things I want to say about the schedule and the format for the class. So listen carefully, please. As you can see, we've built some flexibility into these lessons. Uh, because there's just so much meat on, on this bone, we have, as you've been able to see, for some of these days, some of these uh, particular topics, we're going to spend two or three classes on them. So that, that gives us some wiggle room, some flexibility. Um, we're going to do that because, as you can see, there's a lot that goes on in the last week of Christ. Just so much that goes on, and I, and I really want us to try to dissect this and dig deep. Dig deep and just go beyond the surface. As far as questions and comments go, let me say something about the format I would like to use for this class. I would like to have uninterrupted time to say the things that I need to say. I want you to keep in mind that these classes, from my understanding, are being recorded. So we want to be mindful of that. We're getting shot out into the country and the world. And the comments that are made at certain times need to be mindful of the people who are watching. We don't want to start up un any unnecessary controversy, okay? I'm gonna need time due to the recording, people watching, due to the 
the, the, the tons of information we have, I'm going to need time every class to have un, uninterrupted time to say the things that I need to say. I will have specific moments, very specific moments, when I will allow you to ask a question or make a comment. Follow me on that. I'll let you know when that time comes. I don't need to see a hand raised or somebody saying something before that time comes. I really need to not lose my train of thought. I need to say the things I need to say for the sake of, of everybody here and for the sake of those who are watching uh, via on the web, okay? Uh, so if you happen to have your hand up and I'm talking, I don't call on you, don't take it personal, please. Don't get mad, I just need to be able to say the things I need to say. I also want to strongly recommend that you do your lesson ahead of time at home. Uh, as you can see for each lesson, there are fast facts that kind of gives you big uh, main points for each lesson that can help you understand the material. And there are questions for you to do that can help, uh, help you further retain the information, understand the information, and even do that with your, with your kids. Uh, I believe our young people, fourth and up, are doing the same material. So this would be something good to discuss with, with your kids if you have them in that age bracket. Okay, so now that we've laid that out, let's go ahead and jump into the first lesson. As you can see, we're doing the last week of Christ, and the first lesson has to do with what happened on Saturday when Jesus was in Bethany. I gave you the wrong scripture earlier, not Mark chapter 12. I meant to say Mark chapter 14. Go in your Bible to Mark 14. You may also want to put yourself or place yourself over at uh, John, uh, John 11 and 12. Uh, as you see at the top of your lessons, there are key scripture readings uh, that can help you really hone in on what we're going to be talking about each class. I want to begin by reading the scripture. I want to start with Mark 14, and I want to read verses 1 through 11. The plan for the class is to go through those questions. We're going to go through every question that we have in the book. So I want you to follow me, hang with me, and we're going to see what we can get out of this. We're looking at the last week of our Savior. We will begin on the Saturday before the crucifixion. Mark 14, verse 1. I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation. It says, Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, Not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. While he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for 300 denarii, and the money given to the poor, and they were scalding her. But Jesus said, let her, let her alone. Why do you bother me? She has done a good deed to me, for you always have the poor with you, and, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Therefore, I say to you, wherever the gospel was preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be spoken of in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. 
They were glad when they heard this, and they promised to give him money and began seeking how to betray him at an opportune time. The first question here, and these are really the things we want to hit today in this study. Notice the scripture says that this takes place six days before the Passover. I want us to understand that one of the reasons why we know Jesus had a three-year ministry is because you count the Passovers. The Passovers are the key. Now, this is the Passover before the Lord is crucified. What we're studying today takes place six days before the Passover. That's how we know this is a Saturday here. He makes a stop in Bethany. Why does he do that? Mary. And I'll tell you in just a moment how we can be certain this woman is Mary, not the mother of Jesus, another Mary. She does a kind gesture for the Lord. What was it? Why did she do it? Jesus here strongly rebuked Judas. This is a very important thing to understand. This will help us understand why Judas is so eager to betray him. Jesus strongly rebukes Judas on this occasion. Why? What did it prompt Judas to do? A large crowd is gathered in Bethany. Why? What did the chief priest plan to do to Lazarus? The Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. At this point, Lazarus has been raised. The chief priests want to do something to Lazarus. Why do they want to do this? Now, the first question there, and we're going to kind of go through this kind of quickly here, so stay with me. While traveling to Jerusalem, why did Jesus stop in Bethany? He's on his way to Jerusalem. That's his main mission. He's been avoiding Jerusalem for the last couple of years. He has to stay out of the hot zone. If he had gone to Jerusalem prior to this moment, he would not have made it to the appointed time of his death. He, may, he stays in Galilee for 70% of his ministry. He's now ready to go to Jerusalem because he knows it's time to die. The sacrifice is about to be made soon. Why did he stop? Well, the scripture says he stopped in Bethany to visit his friends. Jesus had friends. There were a lot of people who didn't like him, but there were also some people who did like him. There were some people that he was very close to. These people, according to the text, is a man named Simon here. Simon is a leper. That's interesting. Jesus is hanging out with a man who had leprosy. Now, some suggest that Jesus had healed this man of his leprosy. But even if he had been healed, the fact that Jesus is spending time in the home of a man who had leprosy shows us that Jesus was a friend of outcasts. He goes to the home of Simon the leper, but it's not just Simon the leper there. When you put this with what John says in his account over in John, the 12th chapter in John, chapter 12, these are parallel texts. John mentions more names. He says that there was Martha there and there was Mary and there was Lazarus. Now, some suggest that Simon the leper was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' father. That's just a, an opinion, a suggestion. I don't think the text says that. But you got Simon here, and you got Mary, you got Martha, and you got Lazarus. These are all friends of Jesus. Now, if you want an idea, let's see here. I think this, okay, there we go. You want an idea of what we're talking about? This is how Jerusalem looks today. That gold dome there is the Dome of the Rock. That's where the temple, Solomon's temple would have been, or Herod's temple would have been at the time of Jesus. The Muslims own that territory today. They put the Dome of the Rock there. 
when we're talking about Jerusalem, this is the key city in the Old Testament. Jesus is making his way from Galilee to Jerusalem. He goes up to Jerusalem, even though Jerusalem is south, you go up to Jerusalem because it's 2,500 feet above sea level. Bethany is going to be to the southeast, only about two and a half miles. Bethany is going to be right here. It's very close to Jerusalem. It would have been very easy for Jesus to go in and out of Jerusalem to Bethany during his final week. And it's very likely he did that to spend time and spend nights with his friends, people that he could trust. This is an outline of the city of Jerusalem. It's very important to get familiar with Jerusalem when we study the last week of Jesus Christ. Jesus would have come in from Bethany, coming from this direction over here. You come through the Garden of Gethsemane, which is over here, off the map. You, go, you come from the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, over here, I'm sorry. This is Bethany. Garden of Gethsemane, Mount of Olives. And then you make your way into the city, which is surrounded by walls. Here's the temple. The temple is the key thing. The Antonio Fortress. This is where Jesus probably met with Pilate at the Antonio Fortress. There's a time when Pilate sends him across town to Herod. Herod. Herod was in town, remember, for the Passover. Caiaphas' house would have been over here in this direction. So Jesus would have been arrested in Gethsemane, brought over here to Caiaphas. They would have brought him to the Antonio Fortress to meet with Pilate. Pilate sends him over here. Herod sends him back over here. Eventually he's sent out here to Golgotha. Get the idea? It's, it's very important to get familiar with what's going on here, here on the map. And then the road to Emmaus, where Jesus appeared to some disciples. Well, right now, understand that Jesus is over here, okay? He's in Bethany. He's about two and a half miles to the northeast or the southeast of Jerusalem. Some other things I want to point out here. Question two. Martha... And we're introduced to these people earlier in the Gospels. Martha does something for Jesus on this occasion. Without going into a lot of detail, just somebody blurt it out real quick. What does Martha do for Jesus according to what you found really in John 12? Not Mark, not Mark 14, John 12, verse 2. What does she do? Not Mary, Martha. What does Martha do? She makes a dinner for him. She makes a meal for him. Do you remember Martha doing that anywhere else in the scripture? Did you write that down? Anybody got a scripture for that? Luke 10. That's right. Yes, sir. When you go over to Luke chapter 10 in the verses, if you want to write those down, Dale was right on the money. Luke 10, 38 through 42. Remember it says, now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha. This is the same Martha of John 12 welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, same Mary, who, had seated, who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which should not be taken away from her. So one of the key lessons that we 
that we learn here is a lesson about priorities. While there's nothing sinful about being hospitable and making meals for your guests, Martha had not chosen at that moment the most important thing, which was sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to the Lord while he was in our house. Mary did that. And so we learn some things about their personality here, don't we? We learn that Mary is more interested in listening to Jesus in this moment, and Martha is worried about you know, the, the, the cooking and making sure everybody's served. And, and, and Jesus is, is teaching her here about priorities. And don't be too hard on Mary because Mary sees what's most important in this moment. So we introduce to these people here, Martha is a cook. I know we got a lot of good cooks here in this congregation. And, and Martha's probably a good cook. And Jesus is eating a meal here in her home in Lutin. And the same thing is happening on the Saturday before his crucifixion. She's making a meal. She's making a meal for him back in John chapter 12. Now, let's talk about Mary. Question 12, what does Mary do for Jesus? Well, Mary, the same Mary who back in Luke 10, who was at the feet of Jesus, listening to him instead of helping her sister in the kitchen, Mary anoints Jesus' body. She anoints his body for burial. Let's make a few observations about this anointing, okay? I want you to jot these things down. First, I want you to know that this perfume that she anoints his body with is very expensive. This is very, very costly perfume. The Bible says that the perfume costs how much real quick? How much? 300 denarii. A denarii, many of you know this, was the standard wage that a worker got for days work in first century time. So that means that this perfume was so expensive that it would have cost the average worker at this time, it, it would have cost him a whole year's salary almost. It would have took the average Jew a year to be able to buy this perfume. That's expensive stuff, right? Can you imagine using your whole year's salary on a bottle of perfume? This is some very expensive stuff. And let me just say that when she breaks this thing open, she doesn't just pour some of it on Jesus. How much does she pour of it? She uses all of it. She didn't save any for later. She gives it all to Jesus, all of it to Jesus. It's important to understand that this stuff, if you had just poured a drop on Jesus, it would have smelt the whole house up. But she poured the whole thing on him. That means, Jesus, you've been able to smell him coming from a long way. She pours this some strong stuff of pure nard. This is some strong scent here. And she pours it all on Jesus. A whole bottle of expensive perfume. And after she did that, the Lord commends her. Remember in verse 6 of Mark 14, he said that she did a good deed. If the Lord tells you you did a good deed, then guess what? You did a good deed. If the Lord says it, it's right. So it's expensive. She gives it all to Jesus. She pours it all on him, and she is commended by Jesus. Question four, how did the apostles, particularly Judas, react to her gesture? Well, if you look at Mark chapter 14 and verse 4, Mark 14 and verse 4 says that 
they were indignant. Some of them were indignant. They were angry about what she did. They said that she had wasted a good product. They, called, they accused her of being wasteful. You go to Luke, or not Luke, John, I'm sorry, John 12. And in John 12, John focuses on Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. And in John, 4, uh, John 12 and verse 4, Judas says, why was this perfume, when you look at verse 5, I'm sorry, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Why are we wasting this? We could sell this and give the money to the poor. Verse 6 says, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor. He could have cared less about the poor. He said this because he was a thief. And the thief was actually the treasurer. Can you imagine that? The thief is the treasurer. The Bible says he's a thief and he had the money box and he used to pilfer what was put into it. He stole from the treasury of Jesus and the apostles. And that's what he wanted to do here. He didn't care about giving to the poor. So Judas is upset. There are others upset, but Judas specifically says we sh should have sold this perfume and given it to the poor. They don't, they don't like what's going on. They're very, very upset. And Judas is being deceptive. You see that? I guess he's forgotten, or at least he's not thinking how the Lord can read hearts. The Lord can read hearts. He's being very deceptive, but he's trying to deceive the wrong person. How did Jesus respond to Judas' rebuke of, rebuke of Mary? Question five. Well, write these verses down. Mark 14, 6 through 8. Mark 14, 6 through 8. Look at John 12, 7 through 8. John 12, 7 through 8. Jesus said, let her alone. Jesus took up for Mary. He took up for her. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you. And isn't that true? But you do not always have me. Three things I want you to notice here for question five. First, Jesus, when they were picking on Mary, accusing her of being wasteful, Jesus said, leave her alone. He rebuked them. He rebuked Judas. This probably was very embarrassing for Judas. I want you to remember that. He also commends Mary. He says, she did a good deed for me. You're wrong. She did a good thing, a good thing for me. And then he also reminds them of the poor. The truth about the poor, how the poor you always have. You're going to always have the poor. But at this moment, Jesus was about to leave very soon. So this perfume is better used on Jesus than the poor because if they want to help the poor, they can do that later. They're going to have a lot of time to do that later. But in this moment, the Son of God is among you. Don't waste the opportunity to give him costly service. So Jesus defends her. And then you look at Mark 14 and verse 9. For how long would Mary's kind gesture be remembered? Jesus says... It'll always be remembered. 
Her actions will be preserved and remembered forever. He says, wherever the gospel is preached, what this woman did will be spoken of in memory of her. What I am doing right now by even talking with you about this account is fulfilling the words of Jesus, right? Her words are remembered. While people remember Judas for evil, when you hear Judas' name, you don't immediately think of something good, do you? You always think of him as a bad man, a man who betrayed Jesus. While Judas is remembered for evil and awful things, Mary is remembered for her service, her costly service of Jesus. And then that brings us to the next one. What does Mary teach us about sacrificing for Jesus? Well, sacrificing for Jesus is costly. You got to count the cost. I did a lesson on that online, remember? It's costly. 300 denarii. 300 denarii. A whole year's salary for the average worker. That was a costly act of service. That was a lot of money. And likewise, our service to the Lord today it's got to cost something. It's got to be something that we feel. And I'm not just talking about what we give on the first day of the week, although that's part of it. Remember, Paul said we are to give our lives, Romans 12, our very lives as a daily sacrifice to the Lord. Our service to Jesus must also be costly. We got to make sacrifices for the Lord. We got to make sure that we always give the Lord our best service possible. That's one of the things that Mary teaches us. Mary gave costly service to the Lord, and the Lord says she did a good thing. No amount of sacrifice is too great for the Lord. That's one of the key things that Mary teaches us. The disciples accused her of being wasteful, but Jesus says she did what was right. And then, a couple more questions real quick, and then I'll open it up for some comments. So you got all this going on in the house. Do you see this? We got food being eaten. Jesus is spending time with his friends. He knows he's going to die soon. He's in the home of Simon the leper. You got Mary there. You got Martha there. You got this man who's been raised from the dead. He's there. You got the apostles there. You got Mary anointing Jesus at some point in the night, preparing his body before him for burial because evidently she believes that he's the Messiah. She knows he's going to die soon. She understood that better than the apostles did, it seems. But outside, you got a large crowd of people there. There are a large crowd of people outside. Why are they outside? Well, they're outside, the Bible says, to see Jesus, this mighty man of miracles, but not just Jesus. They want to see Lazarus. They want to see the evidence of Jesus' power to raise the dead. I'm going to tell you something. If I was living in, at that time and in that region, I'll be doing the same thing. When you want to see a person that you knew with certainty had been raised from the dead, he was four days in the tomb. They want to see Jesus and they want to see Lazarus. That's why you got this big crowd outside Simon's house. Nobody would have ever wanted to go outside of Simon the leper's home, believe me, unless Lazarus, somebody like Lazarus was inside. So there's a lot of people going out there to see that. And they're believing in Jesus because of Lazarus. But that brings us to the last thing, and that is what were the chief priests planning to do with Lazarus? 
We'll go back to John 12 again. John 12 and verse 9. John 12 verse 9 said the large crowd of Jews then learned that he was there. Jesus is there. He's in Jerusalem finally. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they may also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also. They want to kill Lazarus. The man just was raised from the dead. They want to kill him. Why? Verse 11, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So they want to kill Jesus. And they want to kill Lazarus. Here's some things I want you to think about real quick. Just, just think about these things. From this Saturday event, this Saturday moment, we see again serving Jesus is costly, right? We got to be willing to sacrifice for Jesus. That's what Mary did. We also see we can't fool Jesus. Judas was trying to fool Jesus, wasn't he? Jesus knew what he was up to. Jesus rebuked him. We also see from this account the devil's always busy. While Mary's inside the house giving good service to the Lord, while Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead, the devil is working through Judas. It is important for us to understand, and I'll say more about this as we move on, but this moment is critical because this, from my understanding and in my belief, is what prompts Judas to go out and betray Jesus. He is embarrassed after this. He has been humiliated, he feels, by Jesus. He is bitter over this, and that's why he goes out into the night, because he wants to get back at Jesus. Jesus has embarrassed him. This is a key moment. This is when the devil's going to go to work. you got to look at this in real-life terms. Judas is upset, and this is going to come back later. And then the last thing I want to say is this. For some people, no matter what evidence you show them, they still won't believe. Isn't that true? Think about it. Lazarus has been raised from the dead, and these enemies still won't believe in Jesus. In fact, not only do they want to kill Jesus, but they want to kill his evidence because they don't want people to believe in the evidence. It reminds me of when Jesus was casting demons out of people and the people accused him of being a worker of Beelzebub. They didn't say he didn't legitimately cast out demons, did they? Oh, they acknowledged that. They just foolishly questioned the source of his power. They were determined to reject him. And that's how some people are today. For some people, they'll say, if God opened up the clouds and, and show us his face, I'll believe. No, they won't. No, they won't. These people in Jesus' time were seeing miraculous power over and over and over again. They saw a man raised from the dead inside Simon's house, and they still wouldn't believe. In fact, they were determined even more to kill him. Why? Because their hearts were hardened. And that's how some people are today. You can show them a clear verse where in Mark 16, 16, where Jesus says he who believes and is baptized will be saved. And they'll say he really doesn't believe baptism is necessary for salvation. They'll still say that. You know why? Because they don't want to believe it. Some people's hearts are just hardened. Now, I know I use all the time to do all the talking. Forgive me for that. I apologize. Uh, but one of the reasons, and Gary, back me up on this now. 
We're not passing the mic because we don't want to pass, we don't want to pass COVID around, right? So that's why Gary, Gary said, I won't be passing out the mic. I said, Gary, that's great, because I got a lot I gotta say. And since I've been doing these videos over the last six months, I'm kind of used to doing all the talking now. Uh, so y'all gonna have to just bear with me on that. I gotta, okay, so, so we'll pick up here. Let's just stop there, okay? If you do want to have some more discussions about these things, you know I'm always available to you. I am. But we'll stop here, and next time we're going to keep this same format, okay? And I promise uh, we'll, we'll have more time for comments and things. But we'll pick up with Sunday next Sunday, all right? Thank you very much.